Matthew chapter 5, uh, we're, we uh, have covered the first four Beatitudes. And as I said at the beginning of this, uh, the first four Beatitudes talk about our relationship with God. Now we're getting into the next four Beatitudes that talk about our relationship with others and how we're, to, how we're supposed to build relationships with others. Matthew chapter 5, if you'd stand with me as we read our, our text, verses 1 through 7. It says, when he saw the crowds, he went up to the mountain, and after he sat down, his disciples came to him. Then he began to teach, saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for the kingdom of heaven is theirs. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the humble, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. And today's uh, beatitude is blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. You may be seated. Now, as we talked about those first four and, and learned about our relationship with God, that was, that was great. You know, that's, uh, I'm not going to say that's the easy part, but when it's just us and God, when it's just building a relationship between us and God, that's kind of expected, right? I mean, that's what, that's what we're supposed to do. That's what we're supposed to be about. And remember that these Beatitudes were written to believers. They're not written to the world. I think that's an incredibly important thing that we must remember, an aspect of this teaching that we have to remember. This teaching is not for the lost world. This teaching is for us as a church. This teaching is for us as followers of Christ. This is how we're supposed to build our lives. We sing that song, um, build my life, I will build my life on you. Well, this is what we're supposed to build on. These are the kind of attributes that Jesus said, if you're going to follow me, this is what you're going to show to the world. This is how you're going to build relationships with others. And it really is a... Um, really is a bar that he set for us, how we're supposed to be. Mercy is a tough one. It's a tough one. I'm not going to lie. We deserve nothing from God, right? As human beings created by God for his purpose, he owes us nothing. Yet he gives to us. He blesses us and shows us his love in many ways. If we were going to do a testimony time here, as we call it in churches, we could go around the room and those who don't have a fear of speaking in public could go one right after the other about how God has blessed us. And we talk about that and we share that with each other. And we have no problem sharing the blessings of God on our lives and how God has taken care of us and God, how God has seen us through. And during this, you know, during the times where uh, uncertain times where God has given us direction and we followed him and he's been so good to us. Many who walked away at one point and now they've come back and they can talk about the, the love and the grace of Jesus Christ that drew them back. But there's one thing that we never, I shouldn't say never, it's one thing that people don't brag about a lot, and that's mercy. In, in, 
in a finer point of the matter, extending mercy to others. God blesses us. He's given us an amazing gift of eternal life through his divine grace. And grace is a special gift from God. Those of you who grew up in church, you remember the acrostic for grace, God's riches at Christ's expense, right? God has given us something that we don't deserve. It's a gift from God. That's why it's called a gift. That's why he calls it the gift of eternal life. You don't earn a gift. You don't deserve a gift. Someone may simply give you a gift for no other reason than they just want to give you a gift. But then there's mercy. Mercy is connected to grace in that it is also a gift from God, but there's something distinctly different about mercy that separates it from grace. Mercy is the act of God by which we don't get what we do deserve. See, grace is getting what we don't deserve. Mercy is not getting what we do deserve. See where I'm going with this? If we are supposed to build our lives on the principles that Jesus taught us and more uh, refined here for this, this series on the Beatitudes, if God gave us mercy and we are supposed to build relationships with mercy as a part of it, that means we must be willing to extend mercy. That's what we're talking about. What is mercy? What does it mean to extend mercy to others? Mercy is not, I, grace is like our, our, uh, our ministry right now, um, meals, that heal. meals That Heal. Meals That Heal is grace, right? Meals That Heal is, is part of grace. That's what we do as a church to show grace to others. We, we make meals for people who, uh, not, we're not saying that you can't cook. <laughs> we're saying that right now, you don't need to. You've got other things on your mind. You've got other things figuratively, figuratively on your plate. And we want to extend grace to you and say, it's just one less thing to worry about. Just don't worry about it. We'll take care of it. So that's grace. Mercy now. Mercy is knowing what people deserve and not giving it to them. God does that for us. We, we deserve death because of our sin, right? But in his mercy, he says, no, that's not what I'm going to give to you. I'm not going to give you what you do deserve. See where we're, <laughs> see the road we're traveling here? If he does that with us, what are we supposed to do with other people in our lives? <laughs> As we enter this second half of the Beatitudes, building relationships with others, others, Jesus is teaching here how to build those relationships, how to make them strong and make them matter. 
Here at New Life, we say relationships build churches, right? It's one of our taglines, relationships build churches. It's one of our foundational principles, if you will. So if building a church on relationships is so important to us, knowing how to build solid Christian relationships should be of great interest to us. For those of you who have attended other churches in your lives, you may know what it means to not have grace or not be extended mercy. Christians, it's been said about the Christian world that we are the only army who shoots its own wounded, right? God help you if you choose to go to, to a different church. Am I lying? Lord, help you if you, if you feel like God has led you somewhere else. Because <laughs> we are going to cut you off. And many times it's not we're going to cut you off. We are going to talk about you. We are, I, had, I, I worked for, and it's not unique to this area. I worked for a, a, a church out of Missouri. And our assistant pastor told me, he said, John, when somebody leaves our church, we never speak their name again. It's like, what? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? We, we never... Do you realize how futile, F-E-U-D-A-L that is? We're building our own little fiefdom. And if you're not going to be part of us, then you're over there. We're no longer... And, and we, you know, we may not come out and say something voluntarily or involuntarily or may not intentionally say, but Lord help, Lord help the person if somebody brings them up. Uh, quite honestly, that's one of the reasons we don't accept letters, changes of membership through letter here, because I don't want to hear negativity from another pastor who has got sour grapes towards somebody. <sighs> Mercy. I think it's important that the very first principle he teaches us when it comes to relationships is mercy. Why? Because of what mercy is, what it does, and how far it goes. In James 2.13, there's an incredibly interesting statement. I'll be honest with you, I spent a lot of, a lot of time this week kind of meditating and, and just putting a lot of thought and prayer and investigation into this short phrase. Listen to, to if, you, if you've got your, your Bibles, you can turn to James 2.13. 2, James 2.13, the end of the, well, I'm going to go ahead and turn there and read the, the passage. Um, and this is going to be a couple weeks sermon, by the way. So uh, just letting you know right now. James chapter 2, verse 13 Starts, let's, let's uh, start at verse 12. Speak and act as though you are uh, you who are to be judged by the law of freedom. The law of freedom is the law of Jesus. Okay? So that, that, that statement right there, verse 12, is, is James saying, by the way, James was the brother of Jesus. So when James, James speaks, it's like, this guy is his brother, man. He, he knows, he, he knows Jesus. He says, when we act, when we speak, when we treat others, when we live the life that he's called us to live, we are to do so 
as those who will be judged by the law of Jesus Christ. The law of freedom. That's a high bar. That's a high standard. Because everything I do, everything I say, every way I act needs to be in line with what Jesus expects of me, with what he's taught me, with how I am supposed to act according to his word. And then he goes in verse 13, says, for judgment is without mercy to the one who has not shown mercy. Look at that, those last four words of James 2.13. And I'm, I'm using the, uh, the, the CSB. It says, mercy triumphs over judgment. Hmm. Mercy triumphs over judgment. Kind of a, just a, a short primer on what that means. It doesn't matter what you think. It doesn't matter what your experience has been. It doesn't matter what you feel. Here's where mercy goes, goes farther than we're willing to go sometimes. It doesn't matter what that person deserves. You understand that? Once again, we'll, we'll put up the complaint. Well, you have no idea what they did to me. You have no idea what they said to me. You know how you have no idea what, how they talk about me. Listen, man, uh, I'm, a, I'm a fundamental evangelical pastor in Massachusetts. Get in line, okay? I, there's, there's all kinds of things. I, literally, you can ask Aaron, in, at the high school where I work, there are teachers that won't just won't, they'll walk right by me. They won't even look at me. I, I, uh, it's just because I'm a pastor. They don't like what I stand for. It's all right. It's all right. You know what? I'm going to talk to you because I'm supposed to extend mercy. It doesn't matter what I think you deserve. Not even what I think you deserve. It doesn't matter what you do deserve. I am supposed to extend mercy. Why? Because Jesus did. <sighs> that's, that's easy to say. But man, try to live that. Mercy triumphs over judgment. That's tough. That's a tough statement to read. It's a tough statement to accept. And it's an even more difficult statement to live because we are Christians. We have standards. We have marks that people are supposed to reach or they're not what they should be. They don't live up to what they're supposed to live up to. They're not acceptable in our sight. Oh, you can come to our church, but um, could you just stay over on that side? Because, you know, you're not quite up to snuff for us. Now, James, just before verses 12 and 13 that we read, gives a real life example where in church, impressive looking people are looked upon more favorably for what they bring to the church as opposed to those who look poor and unkept. You want to know one of the reasons why we are a casual church? Uh, first of all, 
I'm not a suit and tie person. Okay, I was blue collar all through my life. Uh, I'm just not a suit and tie. I see Melvin in the in the workplace, and Melvin's all dolled up and dressed up and looks sharp and looks fine and respectable individual. Like, okay, uh, can I be respectable in a pair of wind pants and a and a hoodie? Because that's that's me. Wait until I get my stomach cut out and I lose weight because I got a whole bunch of jerseys that I got to that I got to wear. Some of them are brand new. I haven't been able to wear it yet. So that's me. And it's not just for me. That's please don't get me wrong. When I first started here, I wore a suit and tie because that's what the, the church was. But we're casual here, quite honestly, because I want to avoid what James is talking about. James says, if you are in church and you see someone come in dressed in finery and they're, they're, uh, they've got expensive looking shoes and they've got expensive clothes on and, and their hair is done up or they're, uh, they're carrying a, a, I don't know, a, a Gucci bag or something or the, the gentleman is wearing you know, a $500 shirt and, and you see them and it's like, ho, ho, ho. We need them in our church before you even know their spiritual condition. It's like, oh, yeah, that's uh, there are kind of people. But then you see somebody come in in a pair of ripped jeans, not because it's stylish, but because that's the way that's the only pair of jeans they have. And an old pair of work boots or a torn up pair of Nikes or God forbid shoes they bought at Walmart and a stained t-shirt. We, you know, you might say, well, (sighs) not necessarily our kind of folks. And it doesn't have to be the physical appearance. Many times it's, there are other things that we judge people on. James says, if that's how you are with people, if you segregate and separate people according to the way they dress or according to the way they talk or according to the color of their skin. Say that last one again. According to the color of their skin. Maybe they have a little accent when they speak that's not from around here. Well, if we separate and segregate according to that, according to what we see and what we perceive in people, if we segregate them at all, we're not acting like Jesus wants us to act. He says mercy triumphs over your judgment. Who are you to say that they are not worthy of being part of your church? They are someone for whom Jesus Christ died. And who is to say that gentleman that comes in in the, in the beaten up, Outfit, my, may, who's to say he didn't just get off working a double shift and just needs to get to church and didn't have time to go home and change and shower and be presentable in your eyes? Who's to say those people in the finery are not incredibly broken, don't know Christ as their savior, and actually are on the verge of collapse in their lives, but we judge by the outward and not what we're supposed to look at. 
If we segregate and separate people in our church and choose people that don't have those kind of problems, and all we want is acceptable people that aren't going to take up much of our time, and, and they're just simply people that can add, they, we, we want to know what they can bring to our church. They're a great get, right? James says that's not the way you've learned Jesus Christ. See, mercy goes beyond grace. Mercy extends love and acceptance no matter what. Mercy is difficult, (laughs) no doubt about it. Break this down just a little bit. Mercy is obviously getting what we don't deserve uh, or not getting what we do deserve, as I've said. The word, the phrase triumphs over there, uh, listen to this, triumphs over means it's above, it's over. In fact, it carries the attitude of the obnoxious Rams fan this year. What do I mean? Well, we have bragging rights, right? We have bragging rights. You can say it, Melvin. You can admit that. (laughs) We won the Super Bowl. So we are the champions. Just look at the back of my pickup truck. (laughs) Super Bowl champion sticker on there. That's right. Comes along once in a generation. I'm taking it for all it's worth. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? It may never happen again. So I need to ride this horse into the ground. You Cowboys fans might get that feeling one day. Just saying, just saying, just saying, just saying. Mercy has bragging rights over judgment. Judgment Here's what what that word judgment that James uses means. An opinion or a decision uh, given concerning anything. An opinion or a decision given concerning anything. Especially concerning justice and injustice, right and wrong. Mercy triumphs over your opinion. Mercy triumphs over your judgment. Mercy triumphs over what you feel and how you think. Mercy is that step beyond that you don't want to take because you just don't like it. You just don't like what they look like. You just don't like how they sound. You don't like the way they present themselves. You just don't like it. Mercy triumphs over your judgment. Now that we've kind of set the stage there, how do we demonstrate mercy towards others in practical ways in our lives? Mercy is the compassionate treatment of those in distress, especially when it is within your power to punish or harm them. See the difference between mercy and grace? Grace is the fun stuff, man. Great, and I'm not, I'm, I'm not trying to minimize grace. Please don't misunderstand me. But grace is like, I, you know what? 
I just, I want to do good things for this family. I want, I want to, I want to show some grace for this person. I just want to, I want to, I want to bless them, right? We want to bless people. That's grace. And that's awesome because by, by showing people grace, we are showing them the love of Christ. But we many times don't want to extend mercy because mercy is a real sacrifice. Mercy is a challenge. Mercy is difficult. Listen, I'm not, I'm not minimizing what lengths we have to go to to express mercy to people. What I'm saying here is if we are truly going to be those who follow Jesus Christ and those who live Jesus Christ to others, those who reflect the love of God to others, we must under, at least understand what it means to be merciful. And then we must be willing to at least pray to ask God to give us hearts of mercy. These folks, mercy is sacrifice. Every one of you right now, I will guarantee you this, as we go through this sermon over the next couple weeks, there are going to be people, situations, and issues that flash in your mind. People you know, maybe family members, maybe friends, maybe old church people. Um, there are going to be people in your life. There are going to be, I, won't, I don't want to say classes of people, groups of people in your life that are going to flash through your mind. And you're going to be confronted with this question. Could I make that relationship better by extending mercy? Could I heal? Could I repair not just the relationship, but could I grow and be a better follower of Christ? Could I leave the chains behind of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and not just those, but the chains of hurt? Can I leave those behind by extending mercy? The first thing I want to share with you about mercy is this. Mercy comes from mercy. Okay, mercy comes from mercy. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 say, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all, all, our, all our afflictions. Uh, listen to this. He comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. Okay. So what the Bible is teaching us here is that God extends mercy to you to comfort you in your difficult times. Okay, he does. He extends mercy to you. And when you have fallen off whatever wagon you're riding on and you go to him for forgiveness, he says, I'm going to give you mercy. I'm going to give you mercy. You don't deserve it. How many times have we been? Remember when you were a kid 
and your parents said, how many times, some, something to this, something along these lines, how many times are we going to have to walk down this road? All right? How many times are you going to have to learn? How many times are you going to have to make this mistake until you learn? Right? That's what we want to say. Right? And that's how we as humans look at it. But, but God, that's always a, it's always a phrase that when we add it, we know we're in trouble. But God. In our situation, in our lives, in our sin, when it's down and dirty and we are back to where we were before, we go to him and we say, I'm sorry, can you forgive me? And he says, I will extend you mercy instead of judgment because mercy triumphs over judgment. And I will restore you so that we can try to get it right this time. Right? So, so that you can, you can get back on your feet and so that we can try to go down this road again and get past that spot. You know the spot I'm talking about. The place where you get to and it's like uh, level 636 on Candy Crush, whatever that, you know, wherever you're stuck. He lets you start again because he wants you to get past that. And then he goes farther in this verse. He says, I do it for you. I give you mercy because I want you to heal. I want you to get past it. I want you to grow. I want you to get over this. Okay, because you are valuable to me. I have a plan for you. I have a purpose for you. And I want you to fulfill that. I want us to work together. I want us to get the job done. I want I need you. I have you. I have people in your life that you are going to meet people that are going to need what you have. So I'm extending mercy to you so you can heal. So you can move beyond it. But then he says, so that once you move beyond it, you can now help other people who are where you were. Hmm. So mercy has a purpose with God. It's not just to restore us. It's not just to forgive us. It's not just to be a benevolent God that we can keep going back to like an ATM for forgiveness and say, okay, God, you've, you've promised now I'm, I want you to deliver. Forgive me. He says, no, man, <laughs> listen, I will, I will extend mercy to you so that you can heal and you can grow. But now I want you to learn from that and extend mercy to other people who were in, who are where you were. People who struggle with the same things you struggled with and still struggle with. I want you to be a trophy of grace and mercy that can be held up and others can say, that's what I need. That's what I need. I need a mentor. I need someone to come alongside me to help me. Someone to come alongside me and not judge me but to go beyond their judgment and show me some mercy so that I can try again.
Listen, I'll be honest with you, that's, that's, that's one of the bedrock principles of my ministry. I'll just be honest with you. There is, let me say it this way, I guess. I just don't give up on people. I just don't do it. I don't give up on people. But that doesn't make me wonderful. That doesn't make me amazing. That doesn't make me superstar anything. I think what that makes me, if you want to know the truth of the matter, that makes me a guy who needed a whole lot of mercy in his life and knows what it can do for you. I know that there are people that didn't give up on me. I know there are people that could have said, yeah, no, and there are. I mean, we all have those people in our lives, right? They're like, yeah, nope, done. You went a bridge too far, I'm done with you. Listen, man, I just don't think that's Jesus. Well, come on, they can't get out of their own way. Okay, well, you know what? I weigh almost 300 pounds. I'm getting my stomach cut out so that I don't gain more weight so I can be healthy. My wife doesn't leave me because I'm in the physical condition I'm in. Just doesn't. When we go home today, we have, we have six tables. That was, we have seven chairs at our dining room table. Six of them go with a table. One of them is a desk chair. You know why that's there? It's an ergonomically correct desk, uh, desk chair. You know why? Because I can't sit on something else. I, uh, and if I do, my, it's just pain. It's just pain. My wife doesn't give up on me. In fact, she asked me hey, once in a while, got to get you coffee. I mean, she's, she's always asking me, but she knows I'm, I don't like it when I'm, I'm independent. I'm, a, I'm an independent person. I like to do everything for myself. doesn't matter. Um, and she knows that, yet she still offers but no matter where I am, no matter what condition I'm in, my wife still loves me. And she wakes up every morning and gives me another chance. And that's awesome. And she says, you know what, we're going we're gonna to go down this road together. We're going to go down this road together. And she continually tries to prove that I have feeling in my knee. She kicks, Melvin, she kicks me in the knee, man. I'm like, when are you going to learn? When are you going to learn? She hits, she punches me in the knee. It's like, Really? It's titanium for crying out loud. Go punch a car. See if it says, ouch. Not gonna. And mercy goes beyond. Mercy goes beyond what we want a lot of times. Because now that we've experienced the mercy of God accepting us back when we were not worthy to be accepted back, he did not give us what we did deserve. He now says, go and do likewise. You go out and show mercy in your life. And I'm telling you, man, that's a tough standard to follow. Jesus is our source of mercy. Jesus is our example of mercy. Jesus is our teacher of mercy, in mercy, for mercy. I fully believe that you cannot fully understand or express the mercy of Jesus without understanding the love of Jesus. 
Mercy is deeply rooted in the love of Christ. What Jesus did for us, what God asked his son to do for us, was deeply rooted in the love of God for humanity. And the expression and the display of mercy to humanity, to you as an individual, is deeply rooted in the love of God. Therefore, if you are going to try to fully understand what it means to be a merciful individual, whether it's in your marriage, whether it's with your children, whether it's with family, whether it's with friends, the workplace, whatever relationship it is in your life, you must first truly try to understand the love of God to you. Fully understanding the love of Jesus is understanding how it was applied to you and how it affects you. Jesus was fully committed to showing you mercy so much so that he died for you. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrated his love toward us in that while we, here's the part that we sometimes kind of gloss over in, in Romans 5, 8. Because Romans 5, 8 is one of the verses in the Romans road. If you've ever led someone to Christ, if you use the Romans road, you know, the Romans 5, 8 is kind of the bridge verse between your, you, you as a sinner and God's love, right? Romans 5, 8 is the bridge. And I, I usually connect Romans 5, 8 with John 3, 16. Romans 5, 8 says, but God demonstrates, or, or, or Old King James says, but God commendeth his love, or demonstrates, or shows us his love, in that while we were sinners. Hmm. See, Jesus, Jesus didn't just die so that we could have chocolate Easter bunnies. Right? Jesus didn't just die so that people can wear uh, funny hats with flowers on them and all kinds of wonderful things and have, have ham. For, you ever wonder, well, it's kind of strange having ham on Easter Sunday. But, um, but anyway, it's not really strange. It's just anyway, anyway. Jesus died because we were sinners, okay? God demonstrates his love for us. He demonstrated his love for you. Jesus died for you. Why? Because you were a sinner. His love demonstrated the mercy of God. And the mercy of God demonstrated his love. That's our example. If you want to understand what mercy is, you've got to understand what the love of God is and the length that the love of God would go for you, would go to for you, to restore you. Now we start seeing how important it is to understand love when it comes to mercy because mercy is not us making, is not us feeling good about ourselves because we are forgiving those who hurt us. Well, I'm just going to be the, you ever said this? I'm just going to be the bigger person. I'm going to take the high road. Okay. Somehow, now, and I'm not saying, I'm not speaking against that. Uh, when they go low, we go high. Okay. I, I think those are great phrases to describe. But there's also a level of, a little bit of an air of arrogance there. All right. I'm going to take the high road. Okay. Well, there was a time when you were on the low road. All right. So be real careful. 
just express mercy because it's the, because it's the right thing to do. Give mercy because that's, uh, because of his love for you, that's what God gave to you. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Therefore, the mercy that we display should reflect the mercy of God. The mercy that we display to others should reflect the mercy of God. No strings attached, no addendums, no speech that must be given to justify what we're doing, right? No lecture to explain how pious and how um, magnanimous we are by expressing mercy. We just show mercy. Jesus didn't give a long soliloquy about the purpose of his death. In fact, when he was questioned by Pilate, remember he didn't say anything. And on the cross, he was more concerned about ministering to others. I mean, he, he promised one man, he forgave one man's sin on the cross, right? Remember what he did for his mother? He made sure his mother was taken care of while he was dying on the cross. So Jesus wasn't concerned about himself and making this big statement and letting everybody know what a great magnanimous move this was for him. Jesus was just expressing mercy. James 3.17 says, but the wisdom from above is first pure, then peace-loving, gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. Psalm 51, verse 1, David understood what mercy was, didn't he? David needed mercy. King David. In Psalm 51, 1, the great psalm of repentance, David says, Be gracious to me, God, according to your faithful love, according to your, under, your, your abundant compassion, blot out my rebellion. Luke 6, verses 35 and 36, Jesus refines it a little bit more in verses that we just may not, may or may not like. But love your enemies. Do what is good and lend expecting nothing in return. Then your reward will be great and you will be children of the most high. For he is graceful, gracious to the ungrateful and the evil. And then he has to throw this last part in. If that wasn't enough, okay, he, he says, for he, he, he says, your reward will be great. You will be the children of the most high for he is gracious to the ungrateful and evil. And then he has to throw th this last phrase in, be merciful just as your father also is merciful. So he gives us examples of what mercy is. Love your enemies. What? Be merciful to the unmerciful. Did you catch that word in there, the descriptive of a class of people that he says to show mercy to? Be merciful to the ungrateful. Hmm. Ooh. Those people that don't respond the way you expect them to respond. Be merciful to the ungrateful. And be merciful just as your father also is merciful. 
Secondly, mercy by definition is for the undeserving. I don't know if I put this up there. Yes. Mercy is for mercy by definition is for the undeserving. So stop trying to figure out who deserves it. Right? Mercy by definition, folks, by its very definition, mercy is undeserved. You deserve the punishment, the payment. You deserve that. By by its very definition, mercy is for the undeserving. So if we are going to express the mercy and, and live the mercy of God, the way he lived mercy towards us, the way he shows mercy towards us over and over and over again, we need to stop trying to figure out who deserves our mercy. Go back to the passage in James, right? Go back to James, and James says, if you divide people according to clothing or finery or skin tone, then you're not doing the way doing it the way Jesus says. Let's be honest, the reason we struggle with showing and giving mercy is because it is undeserved. That's why we struggle with it. It's much easier to show grace. It's much easier to be involved in a ministry that involves grace. It's much easier to get involved in things where we can give out of the abundance of our heart and the abundance of our goodness and we can show love and we can, we can just, uh, we, we can, it, it's, it's just wonderful to be a part of a ministry of grace, but man, the ministry of mercy, that's the down and dirty of it all. All through the Bible, we see examples of God's mercy given to people who didn't deserve it. From Adam and Eve, I mean, we could stop right there, right? With Adam and Eve, they didn't deserve it. Yet all of us, every last one of us, experienced the mercy of God because Adam and Eve experienced the mercy of God. Because God allowed the human race to continue beyond them. And then he sent his son to die. He made a way over and over and over again. Mercy was extended to Joseph's brothers. Mercy was extended to Israel in the desert. Over and over and over again, these people rebelled against God. I mean, they just... And it, I don't know about you, but the, this, this, kind of, this kind of stuff that just, just makes me wonder, it makes me see the level that humanity can sink to. These folks had a pillar of fire at night, right? It wasn't, it wasn't a fireplace. It was a pillar in the sky of fire. And then during the day, there was a pillar of a cloud that moved and told them where to go. When they were hungry, he gave them manna, angel food. He gave them quail birds, meat to eat. When they were thirsty and didn't have water, he brought water out of the rocks for them, which kind of gives understanding to the term. He says, if you don't praise me, the rocks will cry out. Well, the rocks will give water, man. I can cause a rock to do anything I want it to do. And yet, over and over and over again, the children of Israel rebelled against God and he had to express mercy to them. 
And he still gave them the promised land. The sick and the sinners that Jesus healed. And then one of the most amazing stories of redemption you'll ever read. The Apostle Paul. That's our example and our motivation for showing mercy. Mercy always has a purpose. Mercy always has a purpose. First Timothy 1, 15 and 16 says, This saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, and I, and Paul is writing this, I am the worst of them. But I received mercy. He could have stopped right there, but he didn't. I received mercy for this reason, so that in me, the worst of them, Christ Jesus might demonstrate his extraordinary patience as an example to those who would believe in him for eternal life. God, not only did God show mercy to Paul to restore him, God showed mercy to Paul as an example for you to follow. Because while we will classify what Paul did as horrible in the human mind, there are other people in this world and in this life that are in Paul's state that will only be reached with the gospel of Christ because you extended mercy. Luke 18, 13 talks about a man who he knew what he was in society. He was a tax collector, a Jewish tax collector. They were worse than murderers because a tax collector for the Romans was a Jew who took the amount of money the Romans assessed and if your tax assessment was $20 a month and he took $20 a month, he had to turn that $20 a month over. He didn't, he didn't work on commission. In order for him to make money, he had to increase your tax assessment. So you might be assessed $20 by the, Jew, by the Romans, but he charged you $25. He pocketed five for himself. You see, that's a guy that was despised. And they didn't just like say, well, we'll just take one, I'll, I'll just take 1%. These guys were wealthy individuals. So they were despised. This tax collector knew what, they, what his own people and the religious people especially thought of him. And in Luke 18, 13, Jesus is speaking. He says, but the tax collector standing far off would not even raise his eyes to heaven, but kept striking his chest and saying, God, have mercy on me a sinner. Whew. I wonder sometimes if I would extend mercy to someone in such great need and, and so self-aware that they know they need mercy. The third one, I'm just going to give you, the give you the point, and then we'll pick it up next week. Something you can chew on a little bit. Thirdly, mercy leads with a heart of compassion. 
Mercy leads with a heart of compassion. Why do we express mercy? Because we have compassion on others. Because they need, because people are in great need of mercy. Listen, this is, this is one of those, one of those teachings that is not fun. And as I studied more and more and dug into it more and more, it was more ouch than it was amen. Because <laughs> I'm thinking, wow, I've never really dug down into the depths of what mercy truly is. And when I did, whew, it was tough. It's tough. I hope and pray that God has kind of spoken to your heart a little bit this morning. Because quite honestly, we live in a time where if we're going to build the kingdom of God here, if we're going to build a church, if we're going to build relationships, even in this church and with others in other churches or wherever it is. Folks, I hope you understand we're moving beyond the time of grace to where it truly is mercy that we're going to have to express to people. We're going to have to extend in order to reach people. And we won't go on. We'll talk about that more next week, okay? Thank you for being here. Let's go ahead and pray. Father, we thank you so much for the, the enormous impact of your word, for the truth of your word, the power of your word. Lord, I thank you so much for the mercy you've extended to me and to others. And God, it's humbling Grace is so, grace is so fun to receive, but mercy, boy, when I'm in need of mercy, Lord, it's just humbling. Father, I pray that each and every one of us will, will look deep into ourselves and allow the concept of mercy and, and expressing mercy to others for, for a purpose, as we'll learn more, will weigh heavy on us, Lord. May it change us. Father, bless us as we go from here today. May we, uh, may we live your word to others and look for opportunities to share your love. I pray for my parents right now, Lord, a little bit selfish here. I pray for my mom and dad. You'll give them grace and peace and uh, watch over them, Lord. Let them know how much they're loved. Bless us as we go. In your name we pray. Amen.